0: Alright, welcome back to episode two of How About the muskies podcast. Or if this is your first episode, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host Connor. You know me as UConn mdb updates, and I'm here with once again with Matt Sarkis, Matt Morbidelli, and Andrew Arnt. And we're just gonna get right into it today. Last night, UConn defeated Buffalo 84 to 64, and I unfortunately was a- was unable to watch the game, so I'm gonna have some of you guys kind of fill me in what happened. Andrew, you want to go first?
1: Yeah, well, obviously we got to start out with Tristan Newton's first triple-double since Daniel Hamilton in 2015 against Central Connecticut. That was the last time they got it, but a 22.11 assists and 10-rebound triple-double for Newton, and Dave Borges even called it a quadruple-double because he drew 13 fouls.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: And he was was 14 of 17 from the free-throw line. Which is a crazy stat. Out of twenty-two points, fourteen of them came from the line.
0: Yeah, and I also for the triple double, I'm pretty sure I saw it was the twelfth in UConn history. Which I feel like that's kind of low for some of the guys we've had. So yeah. it just shows how cool the feat it is to actually do that.
1: It is definitely a low number, but made history last night. So good for him. But man, that game started off started off rough.
0: Yeah, I noticed. I was following along. and score wasn't changing much early on. No. A lot, of, a lot of missed shots.
1: We were losing for the first time this season, but we shot 44% from the field, 28 of 63, and then 6 of 23 from the three-point line, which is 26%, which is not, not great. But I'll let Sarkis get into a couple of details that he saw, too. That was just what I saw. Bad, bad shooting.
2: Yeah. So there was a slow start and it took a couple turnovers and it, they're pretty unforced turnovers and we got a couple easy buckets off of it. And I think that's where this team is going to be good is getting out and running in transition. Cause they're pretty positionless, especially with Hawkins and um, Jackson back out there. So it took them to string a couple stocks together, get out running. And once they did that, they're able to, you know, get some points on, get a big lead. And, um, one guy I want to point out in specific was Klingon. He had another big night. He didn't miss again. And I wouldn't call it a big night, but his production has just been so consistent. He had 11 points, eight boards, two blocks. So I was calling him for his production to be consistent, and he's done it. So um, that was another guy who did good. And just another thing about the game was the shooting. It started off really slow, too. And once they saw a couple go down, and not by any means was it a good shooting game, but I think this team could heat up and I would like to see they had one bad shooting game, one good shooting game, then another bad shooting game. And I would like them to leave that in these tune-up games because, you know, I was uh, – that can't be a theme all season where they're inconsistent shooting.
0: It's just a little side note here. I don't know if it really matters, like a conspiracy, but first game Stonehill, they struggled a little bit. XL Center shot really good at Gampel versus Boston. And now – really didn't do so well against Buffalo back at the XL. So I don't know if that's really the case, but it could be.
2: I think you're on to something. I think we need to reschedule every
3: game to gamble.
0: Yeah. Matt, what do you got
3: from the game? Uh, from this game, for a game that we shot so poorly, and uh, I honestly just thought it was a, it was a pretty successful game uh, in every other stat. Um, we shot very poorly, especially in the first half. Uh, we shot three of 16, which is good for 19%. Um, but Buffalo, uh, defensively, is a very good defensive team. Coming into the game, they averaged 14.5 steals a game, which I felt like our backcourt and everyone did a very good job at uh, fighting against and sort of uh, being composed. They had a very good composure to them, even though they weren't hitting shots. You know, you could tell that that we were the better team, I could say, the entire time. Um, I I never really had that doubt. Uh, Two of the guys that they were uh, hyping up were Curtis Jones and Zid Powell uh, for the defensive skills, and, you know, they had a very good game last game. Uh, We held them to four combined points in the first half, which I thought was a huge difference maker. Uh, you got to shut down their best players, and I, I never saw them had a chance to get going. to get going. Uh, I thought they were in the game mainly because we couldn't shoot ourselves out of anything. We stood no chance if we just kept taking those shots and missing them. There was no, there was nothing coming out of it until so we checked in Joey California, and he scored ten points. He shot four six in the first half, and you know I feel like him coming in uh, kind of changed the energy. Uh, you could just see it on his face. I don't know if anyone else noticed it. He just looked like locked in the whole time. He's got that swagger know. in him. Yeah, I don't know. I really like him. I was watching him, and I was like, damn, like, he he really wants to turn this thing around. He came in, he hit a few threes. He had 10 points in the first half, two or four from three, which we really needed to get going. And, you know, when he came in, he started hitting him. I saw the team just flip around, and, you know, just kind of follow his lead.
0: Yeah, Joey, he went three for five from three the whole game. Rest of the team, three for 18 combined. So a huge spark beyond the arc when the team was struggling.
3: Yeah, you need him. You need You need guys to come in. You need them to hit threes. You know, not everyone's going to be going every night. Uh, But it's also not going to be like last night where nobody else is going. But, you know, big, big difference maker.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, no one else is going. I'll pull up some numbers here shooting wise. Tristan Dubin, he had the triple double, but he was 4 of 14 from the field, 0 of 5 from three. Naheem Aline, 1 of 7 from three. He's the guy you really want making those shots. Other than that, those, those are the two guys, Sunogo, four of 11 from the field. We'll get to him in a little bit. He didn't have his greatest game, but it wasn't four by any standards. But, yeah, another – one more positive, the free throws. They went 22 of 28. That's after, like, I believe 50-something percent maybe against Boston, so that's a great to see an increase there. Let's keep it moving to Sunogo. Anyone have any comments about his game?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um... I want to talk on that. So last podcast, I remember saying where Sinogo needs to improve is passing out of a double, making the right read out of a double, and that's where this team, that's where he advances. And I said, I remember saying he made a nice pass out of a double against BU. It looked like something new. I think he'll be able to do that this year. And he actually didn't have a single assist this game, which, you know, he's our best player, and when your best player is getting doubled, he should end up with an assist or two and he was doing that thing where he just forces up shots. So I think that needs to be addressed. How do you address it? I don't know. I'm not a basketball coach. I talk about it, but I think that needs to be addressed. And um, it was kind of what we were seeing last year with him. And uh, he needs to get a little better with that because when you're being doubled, someone's open. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um. I, I contribute a lot of this game to just the unnecessary foul trouble he dug himself into. Uh, it doesn't help when you're out for like the first what was it, ten minutes of the second half. Um, I felt like uh, you know, even though he he didn't have the best stat line, I felt like he was productive. I don't know, just his presence on the court kind of interesting, especially uh, when Buffalo had Isaac Jack out there a lot, the, the big man. I don't know how tall he was. I think he's like. Seven foot, seven one. He looked really close to clinging out there, but uh, he did a very good job containing Sonogo around the rim. And I don't know, he hit a three again, which I liked. Um, I don't know. Overall, kind of meh performance. You know, you want to see more, but you know, not too much to complain about besides the foul trouble.
0: Luckily, I think this may be one of the worst performances we'll see from Sonogo, which is actually a really good thing. And also, one more thing on that, he. He played 22 minutes, Klingon 18. That's the full 40. So even though Sanogo struggled a little bit, Klingon picked it up with his 11 points. So they combined for 22 and 14, which is exactly what you want out of your center for a full game, scoring and rebounding. Keep it moving here. As you all know, there's some tough injuries right now. Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, and Samson Johnson are all out. And I have some tweets here from Dave boards this was from this was from Monday before the game. It said Hawkins was close to returning today. Jackson may be cleared for live play tomorrow, which is today, and both possible for Friday versus UNC Wilmington. And Hawkins had increased his workload. Jackson was close to going live, and Johnson, quote unquote, weeks from playing. So all of them have different timetables as of right now. Andrew,
1: I think we're going to see uh, Jackson back. What's today? It's Wednesday. So he'll be back Friday against UNC. I think we'll see him back for maybe 15 minutes or so. Um, Maybe we'll see Hawkins for 10, but we'll both see them starting and being productive against Delaware State on Sunday. But as much as this really sucks to say, I don't think we're going to see Samson until conference play.
0: Yeah.
1: And that really hurts to say.
0: Seeing a boot means it's probably worse than we initially thought. So, yeah. yeah, conference play month away. I feel like that's a realistic timetable. Matt, Sarkis?
2: Yeah, if we could just get um Jackson Hawkins back for the Phil Knight Invitational and they're ramped up at that point, we could pick up some big wins there. So that's what I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, I think we'll definitely see at least a combination of the two, hopefully both of them before that starts, because we have two more games prior to that. We'll get to that towards the end. And let's see. so some of our non-conference foes that we're going to be facing, Oregon, we're going to be facing out in Portland in the in the PK tournament. We have that, we finish off that home-and-home home of Florida and the Big 12, Big East challengers, Oklahoma State. All those teams have already suffered some pretty pretty bad losses early on. You see Oregon losing to UNC Irvine. Florida lost recently to FAU, shout out Jalen Gaffney. And Oklahoma State lost to Southern Illinois. So do you guys think that's really gonna matter seeing we have like a our non-conference like top guys that are supposed to get us in the tournament with our good non-conference slate, they're already suffered some bad losses, Andrew?
1: You know, it's definitely like not great for if we want to move up in rankings, but nonetheless, I mean, tournaments are always tough. You mean you you could take a D two team in a tournament and they could win the whole thing. It's just about how momentum goes. So I think losing these games like for a team like Oregon. I think losing these games is not really that much of an issue, but for a team like Oklahoma state for when they're coming to a packed gamble crowd, I think that's really bad. If they're losing to someone like who are they Southern Illinois? Yeah. They, that's going to be tough for them playing in gamble against Connecticut, but then for a team like Florida playing in Gainesville is never easy. So I think that might've just been a bad game for them, but still definitely things for Hurley to look at and look at, their weaknesses. There's plenty of film probably from those. So it's good on a film standpoint, but it doesn't mean we're auto- those are automatic wins because they're far from that. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Well the thing about a tournament resume is you want those quad one wins. And I think if we were to play Oregon or Florida before then or Oklahoma State or, or Oklahoma State, if we were able to play them like next game. It wouldn't be a quad one win because they had some bad losses. But the thing is, Oregon plays number three Houston the game before us. So if they could win that, that would be big for us. It'd mean they're a good team, so it'd be a tough game. But that'd be big for us. And that's also wishful thinking that they win that. And Florida plays Xavier before us and FSU, but FSU doesn't really count. They're bad. But Yeah. um, yeah, so they have a chance to redeem themselves and maybe they can make it so it's a quad one win.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a good point. Those net rankings are always changing. You could be top five and end the year in the fifties. It really depends on the whole year. Uh, I touched upon Jalen Gaffney playing for FAU, so we'll go to the next segment here. All there are six former Huskies that stood up in stores that are still playing in college, and we'll start out with a cook a cook Andrew. How's he doing?
1: A cook is doing great at Georgetown. So far, he's played three games. He started off real strong, 18 points, 12 boards, and five blocks against Coppin State. And they're shaky. I watched that entire game. That was a shaky game. But they ended up beating him, which is all that matters. But he had a couple of down games. He played okay versus Northwestern last night. And then he played decent in their second game. He's averaging 10.3 points per game, 1.3 assists, and 7.7 rebounds with a 68.8 field goal percentage. So he's doing pretty good there. He's starting every game. And now that Samson goes down, it kind of hurts that he left because he would definitely be in his spot right now. But, you know, he's getting more time at Georgetown. But I'm happy that he's succeeding there.
0: Yeah, I'm certainly happy to see all these guys that transfer out success, having success. I don't want to see anyone fail, but especially a cook. He, I don't know. It's just part of me. I just really liked him when he was at UConn and stuck, stuck yeah. with it. He's gone through so
1: much with the injury against Memphis. He was NBA talent in his freshman year Mm -hmm. until, like, if you go back and watch those games with Florida, I think Cincinnati, U.S., like, those games he was showing that he was NBA talent after maybe two or three years. But then that tough injury against Memphis set it all back and just never the same after that torn Achilles. But I'm happy to see him succeeding at a different school for sure.
0: Definitely. Sucks he's in the Big East as well, because we got to play him twice a year. But it's also cool to see him. He'll return to, I believe they're playing at Gamble this year, Georgetown. So I'm sure the crowd will give him a nice ovation there.
1: I'll definitely be there for that one, yeah.
2: (laughs) All right, let's move on to another
0: player that transferred out last year, Jalen Gaffney. Sark, how's he doing at FAU?
2: Yeah, well, he's having an all right year. He's definitely seen a minutes increase, a production increase, I wouldn't necessarily say. I remember he had a pretty – he had a solid freshman year for us. He was pretty promising, and I was excited about him. He didn't really have much of an incline as a sophomore or junior, but right now he's averaging um, six, two, and three three assists on a 2 and one FAU team and picked up a big one against Florida, and he played a lot of minutes that game. So, you know, I guess he's doing his thing over there, and I don't know how far he's going to go with his basketball career, but it's nice to see him who I thought was going to be promising, have a big role, a veteran role on an all right team.
0: For sure. All right, moving on. I know I mentioned before this segment that all these players suited up for the Huskies in the past. This next guy really didn't suit up, Corey Floyd. He was a red shirt last year as a freshman. He transferred out. Matt, how's he doing in Providence?
3: Uh, Corey Floyd um, hasn't had much of an impact over at Providence at all. He's played seven, eight. Minutes a game. They've only he's only played in two games so far. Um, his first game, uh, he shot one of one. He had three points, uh, turnover, and then in the second game, he shot fifty percent and gets him one at two and had another three points, uh, another turnover. Uh, his playmaking hasn't really been there at all. He hasn't had any assists this season. Um, two rebounds. Hasn't gotten to the free throw line. Uh, hit a three, first game and a second game. Uh, that's his total. That's his total points. It's a two three pointers. Uh, um, yeah, not much to write home about here for uh, Corey Floyd. Providence seems okay. They're three and zero right now. But um, yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of how he acted over the off season, and probably won't be for the rest of his collegiate career, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's kind of strange. He sat the whole year on the bench just to transfer. I'm sure there's stuff behind the scenes we don't know, and there's something maybe Early told him. It's also just at Salt Moon, and he goes to one of our biggest rivals in Providence. I know he, had, I believe he has family ties there, and that's why he went there. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm actually headed to Mohegan Sun this weekend for the tournament. At the Hall of Fame tip-off, they have Providence. They're playing Miami. Then they play the winner or loser of St. Louis, Maryland. So maybe he'll get in, have an impact there. It'll be good to see. Yeah, And next up, I'll take this one. It's Brendan Adams. He transferred out two years ago. He's now at George Washington in the A-10. And he's actually having a really good season to start the year. He's averaging 14.7 points and six rebounds. And that's in almost 35 minutes per game. And he's shooting pretty well. 50% from the field, 47% from three. And he was another guy. He didn't really have a big role on the team, but he had his impact. I remember especially that game, I believe, against Cincinnati at gamble. He had, like, he was a part of a big run to put the team back in it. I think it was, like, a 10 over run. He hit a couple threes. He always had that spark off the bench. And also, another player transferred out, he played a little more than Floyd. He played, like, one game as a Husky, Javante Brown. He's now at Texas A&M, and he's not doing much either this year. He's he only he only appeared in one game out of their two. He scored four points and six rebounds in garbage time. And that was after last year. He actually made a couple of starts, the seven footer. So yeah, not really too much emotional attachment to Javante Brown, but not the same could be said for Brendan Adams. And there's one more here. I'm gonna go start back to you, Rasul Diggins,
2: former top recruiter. Yeah. Speaking of not much emotional attachment, let's talk about Rasul Diggins. He uh didn't see much playing time as a freshman. He saw like a minute a game. I don't know what he averaged a point. And he transferred out to UConn's uh, less successful little brother, UMass, where he's seen a big minutes increase. He went up from um five minutes a game. So I guess he averaged five minutes a game at UConn to 17 and a half. And he's averaging four points and two and a half assists, which is, It's like solid production for a young guard. And you see him big minutes. And, uh, yeah, it's just another one of those guys out of that convoy of guards who transferred out. I really wonder what Dan Hurley said to the guards. Maybe it was something like, I'm bringing in four talented guards out of the transfer portal. But, yeah, it's peculiar.
0: Definitely. Peculiar is a good word for it.
2: Let's move on. We got
0: kind of not a weird schedule, but early on to play two games in three days is kind of – out of the ordinary as opposed to playing – you play that many games in a, um like a multi-team event like the PK tournament. But we got a game Friday versus UNC Wilmington and on Sunday against Delaware State. And UNC Wilmington, they – on opening night, they played the number one Tar Heels. They actually played them pretty close. It was like a two-point game at halftime at Chapel Hill. Ended up like a 10- or 12-point game. And Delaware State, I don't know if you guys saw, but they were actually – Up at the half against Nova a couple nights ago. So two games you probably should win, but also two teams that have shown they can hang with some of the best of the best. Andrew?
1: Yeah, I was definitely gonna say that is don't take these for granted though, because you know, as we've seen with the three losses with the teams we play next and even Nova lost, anything can happen in these these we'll call it practice or tune up games. You know, like UNC Wilmington. 8.30 830 at Gamble, that's they're gonna be coming ready to play. And we can't take these ones for advantage because these are ones we start out five and zero going to that tournament. We should be in the top twenty, I'd say, by that tournament, which would be pretty huge. And by the way, for the tournament I saw we have five to one odds to win it. And that's the third best out of the I believe eight teams that are in it.
0: Yes, I have the odds pulled up right here. North Carolina's top, and then us yeah, Alabama are tied for next best then it goes nova oregon michigan state at six best odds i don't know when these odds came out but i feel like they but just after
1: last night yeah yeah they
0: Ooh. just beat kentucky last night and they played gonzaga really close so i will no like, move up for sure definitely
1: matt uh the five to one odds
3: for us to win the tournament i mean i don't know how 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 likely that is to happen. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of our guys come in, you know, they're brand new, you know, they're learning how to play together. Uh, the one thing that is carrying over with me the most from last game is definitely how together they all were. Uh, the togetherness for a team that has not really played together at all is a big, big, uh, Dan Hurley thing. Dan Hurley loves to get these guys riled up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as long as I uh, stay together, we get some more production from some guys who haven't really shown it yet or have struggled. You know, we see the talent is there. We see everything's right in front of us. Um, we definitely need to sink our threes. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, winning this tournament is realistic. It's a realistic thing, but uh, we definitely need more production uh, from guys who have not yet shown it.
0: Yeah, in a tournament like that, you see the name like UNC number one in the country. Some people might not want to face them, but I want to see how we match up against Carolina and see if we can beat them and how close we play them. So, let's, yeah,
1: Andrew, you add something. I was just going to say, yeah, like for a tournament like that, like it's really a thing for these guys to really get used to playing with each other. You know, they're going, where's the tournament? It's in Portland, Oregon. So they're going all the way across the country with each other for the first big tournament that they're playing in together. We need a guy like last year, Paulie off the bench in that Auburn game. He dropped like 27 points, put that thing in a double overtime. We need somebody like that. You know, if somebody's clearly struggling, we need somebody off the bench, especially if we have our team almost healthy besides Samson. Like if Andre is struggling there, we need somebody like maybe Calcaterra to just come in and get, get a couple of threes or something like that. We just need people off the bench who can, you know, like get, get the game back in order if it's it's going off-kilter. Because some of these guys aren't going to start. Like, Naheem might not start. Um, Diara definitely probably won't start, you know. So we're going to need these guys to come off the bench and provide a spark.
0: Definitely. And this is kind of sidetracking a little bit, but say we'll consider Samson out for, like, a month or so. When Andre and Hawkins come back, what do you think are the – obviously, is going to continue to start, and I assume Newton will. But what do you think is going to get that last spot,
2: Sark? Um, I think uh Aileen's probably gonna get that last spot. I don't know why. Probably because he's just a, a a bigger guard and uh, he could space the floor. And I think we're just gonna run like four guard, one big lineup. So um, I think Aline's probably gonna get the last spot. And he's a mature guy who uh, he was a starter on that Virginia Tech team last year. Matt,
0: what do you think? I,
3: think? I think it's all dependent on how these next few games go. To be honest, I don't think Hurley blocked into any lineup. Or any guy at all I think he's just gonna go with what he sees if he has to run some players out of position run Jackson at a three or maybe even a four the way he bounces it's just ridiculous um I could see that happening get a guy like Kakaterra at the two to maybe get up shots like more often and you know if Newton's having a stinker put him on the bench for a little bit I think he'll start initially all the games but I don't know this team gives me very very um come and go Vibes players will come they'll go uh my prediction though is also a lean stick him in at the three very versatile player very versatile defender which we haven't talked about much but um yeah lean he needs to start you know score more points score more buckets but you know when those come then i mean i don't see how you know anyone can get by us
0: yeah i think you mentioned jackson at the four i think that's definitely a possibility he's like six six very lengthy defender he gets a lot of rebounds almost like a point forward the way he handles the ball he's a very versatile weapon for
1: the team Andrew I would say that once they both of them come back healthy I would say that the one two and five spot are pretty much a lock with Newton Hawkins and Sonogo. but you know if Carabin is feeling himself these next two games really see what he's got put him in start him against Oregon in the first game at the four and put Jackson at the three but you know if he's if he continues to struggle, like he struggled a little bit in the Buffalo game, but he got a couple to fall eventually. The nice one in transition after the Klingen block and the assist from Newton. But if he's if he's got it, it's all going to come down to Hurley's decision because it, it can't really be decided right now with two games to go before that tournament. But it's, it's definitely a wild card and Caravan could definitely earn that starting spot.
0: Yeah, I'll give my input on the last starter real quick. I do believe it will be Nahima Lean just because of like you guys mentioned that veteran presence. And also including Jackson's ability to play the four. So let's let's go to the players to watch for these two uh, two upcoming games versus UNC Wilmington and Delaware State. My player to watch, I'm gonna go with Nahima Lean. He had a kind of a stinker shooting the ball from three, one of seven, like I mentioned earlier. And he played 38 minutes, so if you're playing that long, you need to be able to make, I think, three or four threes at least if you're out there the whole game. And luckily, we, we also touched upon last time, he had zero rebounds and zero assists the first two games. He had three and two, so he's on the board in that category. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to chalk up last game. as just like, a, I'm just going to forget about it. He, people have their bad games, and hopefully it's past them, and he's, he improves this weekend, headed into the PK. Sark, so, who's your player to
2: watch this weekend? Um, My player to watch, especially against Wilmington, is probably going to be Adama Sinogo. considering they did a good job. I was looking at the box score. You know, I didn't watch the game because mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't really on my list. But um, they did a good job guarding Armando Baycott, who arguably the best big man in college basketball. So I want to see if um Sanogo could come in here and have a big game against the team who locked down arguably the best – or didn't lock him down. He had an all-right game. But played hard against the best big man in college basketball. And we can see how Sonogo stacks up against him.
0: Definitely. Matt, who you got?
3: Uh my player to watch for uh opposite reasons is Hassan Ziara. Uh Diara played sixteen minutes. Um last game. He only scored three points. Uh he's a big non-factor. Um I think if he wants to earn a constant rotation spot, Hurley talks a lot about we have these we have these guys playing who aren't necessarily going to be playing when we're entirely healthy. I think that's a direct a Sandiara reference. Um, he hasn't impressed much in the previous few games. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he has to come out. He has to have some pretty solid games coming up in order to, you know, solidify a spot in, his, in this rotation. Uh, and if he does play good, you know, maybe that will cause a little bit of controversy in the
1: backcourt.
0: Andrew?
1: I am actually going to take Joey California as my player to watch because I saw a lot of what I liked in that Buffalo game. You know, he came off the bench. Obviously, we were struggling three. He wasn't afraid to shoot it, even though he – he. I don't want to say he hasn't been great because he's been fine, but definitely hasn't been what Pauly was last year, which is fine, you know, first two, three games. But he came in, sunk two threes, you know, got the crowd fired up, and then he even – I liked seeing him take it to the basket because I thought that he was just going to be primarily a perimeter guy, but he took the ball to the basket last night, which is what I really like to see. And I think he's definitely a guy who can provide a spark off the bench for us if we really need it. So he's my guy to watch for these next two, especially heading into the PK tournament.
0: Yeah, for sure. You see – I've seen the box score, 32 minutes. I believe Diaro, he was in some foul trouble, right? Yeah, that's why he only had the 16. but. I don't think, you're not going to see Joey Calcaterra 32 minutes every night, but it's good to see in those extended minutes he had that great production. And we're going to wrap up here soon. We have a couple of just quick notes. It's not really a big deal, but third straight year we're in the top 25. It's kind of a cool accomplishment seeing where we were in the AAC. Any comments on that, anyone?
3: Yeah, yeah, we I would say we are way past the days of Sidney Wilsons and, you know, guys like that being big impact players for us. You know, I love the guy. He was one of my favorites when he was here just because of his true athleticism. I thought he hit against Wichita. Uh, but, I mean, you can't have him started, to be completely honest. I don't know where he went. Where he, It was not even close to the level that UConn's on. Uh, but, I mean, those players that we had during those years, honestly, were very, very – big for our program, you know jalen adams of the world christian vitals all three gilberts uh i mean i don't think we are where we are now without them and you know coming into the COVID year where vital was the leader of that team at book night and all those guys even a cook a cook you know th- that team if, if that season didn't get delayed i feel like that would have been a great year for us i feel like we definitely would have made it as the first round of the tournament um i feel like that kind of set us back but uh yeah I feel like going forward now I feel like we should be ranked every year Hurley's a good enough coach to get us there Uh, I, I see no problems going forward
0: yeah back to that 1920 season I was at that game against Houston that senior night when they upset when they pull off the upset I think number 21 Houston I thought for sure we we're going to go on a run in the AEC tournament and less than a week later the season's just over so that was unfortunate and also Adama Sinogo one player of the week in the big East, which I'm not going to say that's expected, but he had a couple of great games, especially against BU and Alex Caravan, freshman of the week. He had a couple of good games as well. Anything on that?
2: Yeah. Um, think about Caravan. He's just so solid for a freshman. He's a really mature player for a freshman and, uh, He's just going to be consistent for us, even if his shots aren't falling. He's just going to be consistent. He tends to be in the right place, make the right rotations, and he'll probably give you a good 10 a game because he's super under control. So uh, that's just how I feel about Cariban And Snogo is great, too.
0: For sure. All right. Do you guys have anything else? I think that pretty much wraps up. Andrew, you got something real quick before we end? Yeah,
1: I was just going to say I've been a real big fan of the freshmen this year as opposed to last year. You know, obviously, very deep team last year. You know, guys like Samson weren't going to play over guys like Whaley and Polly, and then the guards weren't going to play over RJ and Reese, and Hawkins obviously won that freshman spot. But these two so far have been really special, and I think this is really showing Andre Jackson's quote you know only the strongest survive after they lost eight players obviously some graduated some for the draft but more importantly four I believe transfers from last year
0: yeah four people transferred out last year but
1: that's definitely showing only the strongest survive because this team this team looks like their chemistry is already really good and they look like they're going to make runs this year and be one of the best teams in college basketball so that's I've really liked what I've seen this year from the team. I'm really excited for this next two games and then into the tournament, which I think if we win that, that makes our confidence go up a hundred levels. For
0: sure. Matt, last thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I was just going to react to something that
3: Andrew said about the four transfers. Um, There were a lot of questions, you know, over the off season about whether, you know, this is an issue on the inside, a coaching staff issue, a player issue, whether or not they got along. There were a million questions, and I don't know. I found myself getting upset about it. I found myself wondering, you know, where they're going to go, if we're even going to compete at all this year. Because when you have this many open spots on your team and this many open scholarships, you really wonder about how much quality you can get in when, you know, recruiting's over and you're left to your your devices, just transfers and, you know, picking up who you can get. And I feel like Hurley has done a fantastic job At just bringing in the necessary pieces to compete Uh, i don't see any weak spots i'm going to be honest Um, you know the shooting comes and goes they're they're college players they're not professionals you know you expect them to hit their stride and fall out of it the good thing about them all being sort of out of it now is that i plan for them to hit it at the same time and once they get into a stretch where they're all heading you know it's going to be a great set to see Yeah, uh, basically just I uh, applaud Hurley for the guys he's brought in, the versatility he's brought in. I feel like he's just done a great job building this team.
0: Yeah, it hasn't looked perfect so far, but it's been pretty good, pretty damn close. So I think that'll do it for episode two of How About Them Huskies. Thank you guys for tuning in, and you can look for another episode Monday recapping the two games this weekend. All right, thank you.